you have a Bible, open up with me to Acts chapter 9, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, just your faithfulness so far. Lord, there's a theme, that theme of just surrendering control, God, and that's, I think you understand it. God, it's hard for us to do something like that. We, uh, we grip on so tight uh, and, and believe in our own competency so much, and Lord, that's not to say that you don't call us to do certain things and that uh, we, we do put our, our, our first step forward, but God, help us also to see where we surrender to you, where we allow your power, your strength, uh, and your uh, authority to just begin to work through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, <clears throat> when I had first, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a Christian all my life. In fact, I was dead set against it for most of my years as a young man. And uh, then when I had finally uh, had a powerful encounter spiritually and I had uh, uh, given my heart to, to Christ, I remember I was sitting down on, I can't I think it was the bleachers uh, with a friend of mine and I was telling him about the whole experience and, and I just said, you know what? I said, you know, rather than me trying to talk you into this or anything like that, why don't we just pray together? And, uh, and, and I like reached out my hand to grab his hand and he's like, what in the world are you doing? And he looks at me, he's like, he's like, I ain't praying with you. You know, he's like, he's like, I feel like that's like us taking our clothes off in front of each other. You know, I'm not going to pray with you. And I said, you know, it's, it's no big deal. You know, we're just going to pray. He's like, I, 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 I don't, I, I don't know if I want to. And I looked at him and I said, man, I, I've never known you to get all geeked out about stuff like this. What's going on, dude? And he looked at me, he's like, well, he's like, first of all, it's uncomfortable if you've never done it, so don't, don't talk about it anymore. And second of all, he said, man, I, I'm more concerned, not that nothing will happen if we pray, but what if something does happen, you know? I'd rather just stay under the radar and not know at all, because if something happens, that's just something I got to deal with, and I don't want to be stressed out right now. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I, it was one of those things where I was like, if there's something out there beyond yourself, wouldn't you want to know? I mean, if you're going to pray and something's going to happen, wouldn't you want to know? I mean, aren't you going to walk away from this point in your life for the rest of your life and not wonder? Not, not consider? Maybe there's something out there. That's beyond you. But I, I, I heard who was saying, you know, don't push, don't push, don't push. And so I decided not to push because if there's anything I've been realizing about God from the, from the day that I gave my heart to Christ is really God pursues us far more than, far longer than before we pursue him. God's coming after us all the days of our lives. And really, it's not like we can one day wake up and say, I want to find God today. I've never met a person who just woke up and thought, no, that would be a good thought. I think I'll just find God today, give my heart to Christ, and then, you know, I'll just go on to the next day. You know, I never heard somebody say that. We don't really wake up with that in there. We almost wake up going about our lives, going about our day, having a very horizontal view, when all of a sudden God punches a hole into this world, and we go, whoa. That's all real. Jesus is real. The 
crucifixion, the stories were real. The power of God is real. The, the, we almost come to that awareness, not on our own, but God reveals that to us. It may take place all in our mind. We may think we came to the realization, but it is actually the Holy Spirit that is turning on the light. And this morning, we'll see that personified so literally in the conversion and the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, If you're with me, turn to Acts chapter 9. We'll read it in a moment. But I cannot stress enough the importance of the Apostle Apostle Paul to the history of the world. Uh, While really next to Jesus... Nobody really stands taller than Paul in terms of his contribution to the Christian faith. Writing nearly half of the New Testament, interpreting most of the Old Testament for us, giving us uh, all the basis for theology that we have today. But really, the best part of Paul is not so much what he gave us in the Bible, but he is one of the greatest examples of God's grace upon an individual that you will ever find. Paul's life resounds this one basic truth. It doesn't matter how you start in life. It doesn't even matter where you are at this very moment. It matters how you finish. And Paul was the person who coined the phrase, I have run the way, run my race, fought the good fight, Finish the race. And so this morning, we're going to talk about Paul and some of the things that come out in his life. My first point is this. Before we follow Christ, it's all about control. It's all about feeling in control. And and we're kind of given the illusion of control, that we're in control, so we think. I have talked with countless atheists and agnostics. I was one myself for a long time, and I've just really grilled and had all these conversations say, what is at the point of resistance to theism or God? And it all comes down to control. It all comes down to, well, if there is a God, then there's something to submit to and someone who may hold me accountable. So we go to great lengths to say there's no one to submit to and there's nothing that's going to hold us accountable on the atheistic side of the spectrum. There's another way to have control, however, which is not atheism, but religion. Religion, in many senses, is another attempt to control. It's to try to control our own peace with God by making up religion and steps to go through so that we can find peace. Well, if you do this and this and this and this and this, and then this and this and this, and you got this and this and this and this, then we, we, we control it and we have peace with God. The problem with religion is it promises so much and yet delivers so little. Because deep down we know there's something about the lack of surrender that just doesn't make sense. Paul was not an atheist. Paul, before Christ, was a master of religion. Here's a couple of things you could have described Paul before his conversion with Jesus on the road to Damascus. First of all, Paul was upper class. The dude was from a good family, from an important family. He was a Roman citizen. He had access to leaders, money, people, protection. 
influence, knowledge, like we would never have. Paul was upper class. The problem with Paul is he would use his upper classness not to be a philanthropist or altruistic. He used it far more like a mafia crime boss. We'll see that in a moment. Second thing is, Paul was a genius. You, you and I, we cannot underestimate the first century Paul and how smart, how educated. This is a guy who would have had degrees from Harvard, Yale, Oxford, all at the same time, and he would have been the victor, valedictorian in all of his classes. Mentally and academically, few of us here, if any, could have held the candle to Paul. The dude was smart. He spoke and could write and communicate theology in three different languages. He had memorized so much of the Old Testament that he didn't even need the Old Testament with him as he's writing the New Testament. He's just interpreting it from memory. Paul was an absolute genius. And I don't want to belabor that for a moment. He was smart. He was smarter than most, and he knew it. Third thing is he was stubborn. Paul had already attacked all the Christians in Jerusalem. He had already killed a lot of them, put many of them in prison. Now he finds out that a, that a handful of them made it out and they're in a city called Damascus. Well, Paul is so stubborn, he's so zealous, he's so resilient, he gets authorization, he's going to personally walk himself. He could have sent people. He's going to personally walk one 150 miles just to round up a few of the stragglers. That's a stubborn man. Fourth thing, Paul had, had what you would call the it factor. You know, you walk into a room and there's a guy that's just got all the mocks. You know, he's got all the charisma. He's got all the friends. Man, when there's, when there's somebody asking a question, they're asking Paul. You know, he's just got that it factor all around him. And he walks into a room and he knows he's the alpha. He knows he's the alpha. Fifth thing, he was religious. Uh, He was attempting to control his way into heaven through accomplishment and achievement. If you achieved enough, if you accomplished enough, if you did it right enough, you'd get in. And Paul was confident he was better than everybody else in getting and deserving heaven. So much that he defended the temple system to the point of killing those who would oppose it. Sixth thing, and here's where the mark against Paul gets a lot more personal. Paul was a murderer above the law. A murderer above the law. The official law of the Roman Empire was you couldn't just kill somebody. I mean, as brutal as they were, they did have a just system of laws. There was such a thing as homicide. Uh, There was such a, you know, you could not just knock somebody out because you felt like it. The Jews particularly were restricted from executing their own people. That's why they had to hand Jesus over to Pontius Pilate. Because they could not kill him on his own. They had to have a Roman authority pronounce a sentence of execution. But if you look in Acts chapter 7, 
a man named Stephen is giving his defense testimony in front of the Jewish high court. And of course, he gets, he, he gets a little zealous and he talks about how the blood of Jesus is on their hands. They get so infuriated. Now, when I say they, it might have been they, but the one carrying out the execution was an alpha. Whenever somebody's going to get killed, there's always, there's always an alpha you look to to make sure it's okay to kill them. And so these men, like the mafia, think the mafia. Think you're sitting down, drinking, having a drink in a restaurant, and all of a sudden, behind you are two men with machine guns, to the right of you are two men with machine guns, and the bartender pulls your drink back. And you look and you realize, that's it. I'm about to get knocked off. And you've got, you know, Lucky Luciano in the corno. I'm in the, in the, (laughs) in the corner. (laughs) In the corner. (laughs) Nodding his head, giving the approval for them to knock you off. This is what Paul has become. All of his upper class all of his brilliance, all of his charisma, all of his genius. And he's Lucky Luciano. He's a mafia crime boss for anybody who would oppose the Jewish temple. And now they've got Stephen. They've surrounded him. And Paul is giving his nod of approval as they pick up these rocks and crush his head. This is the man we're talking about. What does, this show, what does this show us? It shows us that with God, it doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you finish. So don't give up on God because he haven't given up on you. You may have some things that you've done that you think, I may be a Christian. I, I may get into heaven. I may even to some degree have the blessing of God, but I'll never be all I could be because I have this in my past. What I'm about to tell you today is that is you attempting to control your own relationship with God. That is not God. That is not God at all. Whatever happened yesterday, it is paid for. It is under the blood. It is forgiven. It is gone. God wants us to move on. God wants us to move on and redeem that which we surrender Because it doesn't matter where we start. It matters where we finish. So in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, Stephen was only the beginning. Wait till you see how many executions we're about to have. Right? He's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way. The way was what early Christians called themselves, probably patterned after John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, right? The truth and the life. They really liked that. That was a popular early scripture. They really took on to that. They really took hold of that. So he said, why don't we call ourselves the way? Makes sense. 
and, and good explanation as to why we follow Jesus. Now, the problem is inherent in the name is why they're being persecuted. They're not saying that Jesus is a way. They're not saying that Jesus is just another way among many. They're saying that Jesus is the way, the one and only way. And that is why Paul is saying we need to incarcerate and exterminate this heresy. You'll never get in trouble when you just say, ah, Jesus is just one road among many. You start to get in trouble when you say, no, no, Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so Paul is hunting them down. He's become a bounty hunter for the temple. Uh, And his process is incarceration or extermination. Think ISIS. Think North Korea. Think Eastern India. When you think about these places, what is it all about? You might say, oh, it's all about Islam. No, not just about Islam. Oh, it's all about North Korea. No, not just, oh, it's all about Hinduism. No, not just about. You know what it's about? Control. Control. That's what it's all about. Tight control to the point where if there's any wiggle, you get exterminated. That's exactly the pattern in which Paul is at. But point two, after we follow Christ, we surrender control. That's the heart of the Christian faith right there. Surrendering control to Jesus. And I need to be reminded of that this morning. I need to be reminded of it because you know what? Sometimes under the auspice of the church, there's a lot of things that are in my control. And I need to be reminded, you know what? I'm not in control. It's not my job to control everything. It's my job to surrender control and as best I can hear God for the church so that it's really Jesus who's piloting this ship and steering the ship, not me. How many would you say amen to that? Whoa, 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 whoa. You were a little zealous in that, you know. I mean, come on now, give me a little bit of credit here. (laughs) Acts chapter 9, verse 3 says, "As As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This is an incredibly blind, Paul would be blinded by this light. I have people all the time, you know, Tom, come on. Why doesn't God just show up? I mean, it would make it very easy to believe in him if he just showed up. The fact is, a lot of times when God shows up, our body takes a real hit, right? God shows up in front of Paul and he's blinded, yeah? God shows up in front of Moses and he's surrounded by this glowing, radiant glory and everybody's freaked out and they run away from him. God shows up to Jacob and he's got a limp for the rest of his life, right? You know, so when we say, God, why don't you just show up? Sometimes we gotta be prepared for the physical cost. You may be left blind, you may be left dead. Deaf, I meant to say deaf, well, dead too, you know. Uh, you, you may, I mean, you know, be careful what you wish for, because if God's glory were to all of a sudden show up, we probably could not handle it. 
And this is what happens with Paul. The, the, the God's light, you know, God shows up in, in, a, in a, glor- a, a glorious light, and Paul is blinded, but he's not deafened, so he can still have a conversation and hear. And the conversation goes like this. Jesus, uh, Paul falls to the ground, and he hears a voice say, Saul, Saul, Saul was his name before he changed it to Paul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus takes an attack on his church as an attack on him. Be careful how you attack the church. I I tell the world, be careful how anybody attacks the church. Because if Jesus is the husband of the church, when you attack his wife, you're attacking him. Hey man, anybody attack my wife? They're attacking me. And believe me, you do not want to attack my wife. (laughs) She'll take you long before I ever have to. He says, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, "Uh, who am I speaking to? Who are you? Obviously, you're God. And we thought you were back in the temple in Jerusalem. So who are you? I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. Paul doesn't say another word after that. Here's a man who was in control. He called the shots. His viewpoint was reality. His philosophy was true. His perception was always accurate. Or so he thought. Now, Paul has nothing to say. So Jesus does the talking. And Jesus says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. All of a sudden, it's Jesus calling the shots, point two. After after Christ, after we give our hearts to Christ, it's Jesus who's in control. Jesus who's calling the shots. Point number three. God pursues us before we pursue him. I've heard many people say, you know, you just got to go out and find God. You just got to go out and discover God. You just, you just got to go find that God part of you. And the point is, is we rarely, if ever, do that. I remember before I was a Christian, every now and then I'd do something really bad or hurt somebody really good. And I think to myself, man, if there's a God, he's really going to get me. So I'd repent for a few days. You know, I'd, I'd, I, I may even go, I may even went into the church and, you know, I'd give a little extra money or I, I'd do something, you know, because there's this weird part of me that's like, oh, man, I need to go find God. You want to know something? Never found him. Last a couple days. And then as soon as I got enough distance behind it and I didn't feel so guilty anymore, I'd just start right, you know, keep swimming right on the stream I was in. Paul was not looking for Jesus. Jesus was looking for Paul. Paul, we, We often do not just wake up thinking, I need to find God today. It is often God finding us. It is often God punching a hole into this world, and all of a sudden we're going, whoa, wait a minute. I think God's here. I think God's presence is here. I I feel something different. I'm thinking about thoughts I never thought before. And all of a sudden, God starts communicating to our mind, and we realize God is finding us. God is turning on the light. 
Jesus says, I was on a quest to find Paul. Paul was my mission. I went and I found him. We get it all backwards sometimes. We're just not born with that ability. What did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. We learn that God exists through the Holy Spirit. We learn that Jesus is Lord through the Holy Spirit. We learn that God has power through the Holy Spirit. We don't just arrive at these things. God is the ultimate bounty hunter pursuing us every day of our life. And you may say, why does God do that? Why does God pursue such worthless, murderous, mafia crime bosses like Paul? Because when Jesus died, he died for the world, not for the few, for the world. He knows what he went through to get you. So you're valuable and important to him. There's nothing that we can do. If you look on your sheet there, there's no sin that we can confess that would make him love us less. And so Paul wakes up to the reality that God, he wasn't looking for Jesus. He was looking to destroy the church. He was going to get the stragglers, imprison them, execute enough of them to silence them, and the church just goes the way. He's about ready to put the knife into the bride. Was Paul looking for Jesus? No. But Jesus was looking for Paul. And Jesus found Paul. And Paul, think about it. For the rest of his life, Paul would have to look at his hands and say, I've got blood on my hands. I've got blood-stained hands. He goes to pray for somebody. Those are the hands that approved Stephen's death. He goes to marry somebody, and he holds that bride in that groom's hand, and he's performing one of the first Christian marriages ever. Paul looks down and realizes these are the hands that tore homes apart, that separated husbands and wives. He goes to lay hands in healing or in prayer or in anointing, living forever with the fact that those were the hands that killed Stephen, and everyone knew it. He could not hide from that. Paul realized Jesus found me. I didn't find him. And every time he looked in the mirror, you know why Paul was so zealous? When Paul looked in the mirror, he had one single thought. The thought was this. God, if you can save me, if you can find me, if you can punch a hole in this world and convert me, you can get anybody. You can get anybody. He'd tell Timothy, I am the worst of sinners. I was the chief of sinners because I persecuted the church of God unto death. I was trying to kill everybody in the church. I was the worst. And what does he say to all of us? If God can use me, if God can redeem my life, if God can do something with me, a mafia crime boss illegally executing people, and you bet he can use you. And that's why he pursues us. Because we can be used by him. Point number four. 
God answers prayers for our attackers. You ever notice that as Stephen was dying, who was he praying for? He was praying for Paul. I don't know about you. I wish I could say if somebody was killing me, I'd pray for him. But I wouldn't. I don't think I would, you know. Maybe I would. I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I can't imagine what that would be like. I think if somebody was trying to kill me, I'd probably be praying for God to have a lightning bolt come down and strike him, strike him dead. I think that would be my first thought. So I'm not there yet. I'm not. There's still probably a part of my heart that likes to fight back and be in control that needs to be redeemed. But Stephen, as he looked up and saw Paul approving his death, looked up to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you forgive Paul for what he's doing? He doesn't know what he's doing, Jesus. He doesn't know who you really are. Paul thinks he's in control. He doesn't realize that his control is an illusion, that it's a deception, that he's a big sucker right now, being sucked into a horrible vortex of evil. Jesus, would you forgive him? There's a special place in God's heart when we begin to pray for our enemies. And maybe there's people you've given up on. Oh, their heart's too hard. Oh, they're just such a mess. Oh, they hate Christians. They hate church and they hate Jesus. I'll tell you this much. They, they don't hate him more than Paul did. And Jesus got Paul. Let's not, if there's someone right now that the Lord's putting back in your heart to start praying for, if nothing else out of this message, let it be that. That anybody whom you've given up on today, maybe right now, you just lift up a quick prayer and say, God, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. They can be redeemed. If Paul can, anybody can. Then my last point. God redeems what we surrender. Paul was upper class. God redeemed it. Paul preached to authorities. Paul even preached to Caesar. Paul was a genius. God redeemed all that genius and intellect to write half of the New Testament. Paul had the it factor. Paul could walk in to pagan Athens, stand up and preach to the ancient world. Paul redeemed, God redeemed everything Paul was and turned it as tools for God's glory. I'll close with a story. A few years ago, in fact, many years ago, when I was associate pastor at the church in Seattle in the ghetto, uh, it was a small church. We, 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 we couldn't do much, but I, had, I, I, had, I was part of the ministerial association. They had one up there, and, and so I had friends, other pastors, and, and, and I had made good friends with the uh, Nazarene pastor about a few miles to the north of us, and they were a huge church, two, two 3,000 people. One time he calls me up. He says, you know, Tom, we're doing this outreach to the neighborhood where we're having uh, free haircuts and free get-your-bike-fixed and just this outreach to the community where we, we do stuff. He said, but in all of our church, all 2,000 of them, I cannot find one guy who can fix a bike. He said, I can't find one woman who can fix a bike. I'm thinking to myself, really? So it just happened to happen that we had a guy join our church who worked at a bike shop. So I said, well, you know, I might be able to help you out. Let me give this guy a call. So I call him up, and this is the mid-'90s. This is, you know... 
so I just called him up. And I said, hey, this Saturday, I need you to go to this church. I need you to fix bikes for this outreach. Now, the beauty of the mid-90s is you could just, the pastor had so much authority, you could just say it and people did it. <laughs> so, you know, he's like, do I have a choice? No, not really. I need you to do this. I'm like, well, okay, all right, I'll be there. And uh, so I called the pastor. I said, okay, he'll be there at nine. So I totally forget, you know, and I just gotten a cell phone, the end of my life right there. <laughs> I just got my first cell phone. And that Saturday, I'm single, I'm can't hanging out, so I don't know what I'm doing. I was something, something in Seattle, and I get a call. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, I sent him. I'm thinking, man, you know, maybe he got in a fight. I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't, think the, I didn't think much of the guy. I didn't even think he was really Christian. I mean, all he did was talk, t- complain, argue, talk about all these people he wanted to fight all the time. And, and just, I remember thinking to myself, man, I just don't see any Holy Spirit in there. And I, I didn't think much of the dude, but I knew he could fix bikes. So I'm like, do I answer the call or not? People do that, by the way. You know, I say, yeah, so I'm, do I answer the call or not? I never do that to you guys, though. If you guys call, I tell you what, the only one that I do that in this church is Mark Diego back there. He calls me, I don't answer. You can ask him. Never answer Mark's calls. But I will answer, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so <laughs> he always jokes about that with me. So I, I, I'm like, do I answer this or not? You know, all right, I'll answer. Do I answer? He's like, hey, can I take you out to dinner? Now, I have four priorities in life. God, family, church, and food. I said, you hit number four. And so... So I said, absolutely, you can take me out to dinner. I said, there's this place I've been wanting to go. Da, 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 da. He's like, you pick it, I'll be there. I'm thinking, man, this is great. You know, uh, a, a guy I don't even really like that much is going to buy me dinner. I must be something. You know? and, and so we, we get there, and uh, we're sitting across, and, he, and he's, he starts crying. And I'm like, oh, man. We're at dinner. We're in a public place. Don't do this, you know? I, I mean, I'm thinking we're cool because he's like, he's one of those guys who, who needs to be a tough guy. And he's, you know, uh, you know he, he's almost too tough for God, you know? And, and, and just, you know, I'm like, you know, all right, not a humble bone in his body. And all of a sudden, he starts crying right there in the restaurant. Pastor Tom, I just had the most powerful day of my life and I just had to tell you all about it and I'm like can you tell me about it without crying <laughs> he, he looked at me and he said I gotta be honest with you when you called me up and told me to do it I didn't want to do it in fact I, I just really thought about not showing at all and giving you an excuse on Sunday you know you know how we do that we can make up excuses all oh, my sister needed help or my so I really thought about it. He said, but the fact is, I just couldn't. I just I couldn't do it. I, I, I showed up to the first, first few bikes. I just had a horrible attitude. And I, and I remember when I'd be done, I'd just almost push the bike to the kids. They hear. And then there came a moment where I felt Jesus face to face with me. He said, I couldn't see him. But I knew he was right there. And I felt like he said nothing, but he said everything. He didn't want me to treat this like that. That I had an opportunity to surrender my gift to be used for his glory. And he said, I began to fix those bikes and I hand it back and I'd tell the kids, Jesus 
fixed your bike today. And so I began to look at my hands and realize it was the hands of Jesus that were fixing that bike. The eyes of Jesus that were looking and the words of Jesus that were coming out of my mouth. He said, you don't understand, I've never had this before in my life. I've never experienced something like this. What we surrender, God redeems. What we surrender, God redeems. What we give up control of, God gives us back with his power, his glory. And you know what the beauty is? We walk away going, man, God really is out there. God really is everywhere. He really is power. He really can be trusted. He really does love me. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Worship team, come forward. This morning before we, I know we've gone a little long. I apologize for that. But this morning, I'm going to keep you just a few seconds longer here. Never am I going to try to talk you into this. Never am I going to manipulate you, coerce you. Never am I going to try to say, let's sit down and discover God together. It's my firm conviction that God is the one who finds us. God is the one who pursues us. And so this morning, my question is more, who here this morning got found by God? Who here this morning had a light turned on and you've seen Jesus in a different way? You've seen the Holy Spirit in a different way. And who would like to take that experience and say, you know what? It's time for me to take that step to become a true follower of Jesus. Whether for the first time or to say this day, I'm rededicating. I'm getting back on the right path. Back on the life that God would have me live, surrendering my control to him, allowing him to lead me, guide me, tell me what I must do. Bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you'd like to make that choice and that decision, just go ahead and look up at me right now and signify that. Amen. 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 Many of you. Many of you. Why don't we pray this together? Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my stubbornness, my sins, my lack of surrender. I give you control. I make you my Lord. Fill me with your spirit. I decide to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.